a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're joined now by Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who's running for governor uh, in today's primary race. Uh, Sir, how are you? Lee, it's great to be with you. I'm well, thank you. Uh, Tell me, what's going through your mind and what's on your agenda today, this last day, this primary day here in Utah? Well, really, we're just doing everything we can to remind voters uh, to uh, to get their ballots in. Um, They can still put them in the drop box until 8 o'clock tonight or get them postmarked by 5 p.m. And uh, and that's that's where we are. There's only so much you can do on the last day. All the hard work has been done, and now it's in voters' hands. There are still a few more hours. There are still a number of people, I imagine, uh, have not yet made their mind up. What's your final plea to them? Well, my plea to them is very simple. First of all, whether you vote for me or not, vote. Uh, Voting is critical. It's part of our our national heritage. It's what makes this grand experiment we embarked on 240 years ago. It's it's what makes that work. So please vote. Uh, But but then, uh, of course, we want you to vote for the the Cox-Henderson ticket. Look, uh, we we have helped uh, together with the incredible entrepreneurs and business leaders and employees of the state of Utah to build the greatest economy in in the nation and in our state's history, and we're going to do it. But again, uh, we we pull together as Utahns. That's what we do best. I have a unique skill set, uh, having served as a city councilman, a mayor, a county commissioner in the House of Representatives, and as lieutenant governor, and run a private business for 10 years. And those are the skills that we need in our next governor. And I look forward to, to serving together with the great people of Utah over the next four years. You've been campaigning for some time. Uh, have you? What have you learned during the course of this campaign? Well, more than anything, it's just confirmed what I already knew, and that is that we, we live in an incredible state with amazing people. Um, I'm, the, I'm the first candidate to visit all 248 cities in, in our state, and uh, we everywhere we went, um, we found people who were giving back and making their communities better. Um, government was never designed to solve all of our problems. Uh, it, just, it just wasn't. It, that's a huge mistake that we've made as a country. Uh, but we, together as people with volunteer organizations and our faith-based organizations, organizations coming together. That's how we solve problems. And uh, and that's how we're going to solve the problems we have right now in our state. You, for the past number of months, have served as the head of the COVID-19 community task force. Uh, knowing what we know now, looking back on the past few months and also looking to, ahead to the future, would you do anything different over the course of the last two months in that capacity as head of the task force? Yeah, sure. And, and that's the thing about a novel virus, right? Um, there, there's so many things we didn't know about this virus. It's really interesting to hear the, the experts who, you know, for example, who were telling us in the beginning um, that masks 
weren't a big deal, that they didn't help, and now are, are telling us that masks are, are probably the most important thing we could do to get the economy back on track. And so as we learn more about this, our, our decision-making has to change in our thought process, and uh, and the way we respond to this virus has to change uh, until we get the treatments and uh, the, you know, the vaccines that are on their way. And so that's, I, I think that that's the big thing, um, is that, you know, there's so much we didn't know in the beginning that we know now, uh, but more importantly, moving forward, we have to come together as, as a state. Uh, the good news is that, uh, that that our economy is doing better than any other state out there. We led the nation in, in uh, with fewest job losses over the past two months and, uh, and have the second lowest unemployment rate. Um, but we also have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep people safe. And that's, that's going to take all of us working together. Spencer Cox, candidate for governor. Today in Utah, it's primary day. Last opportunity to cast your ballot for who you would like to receive the Republican nomination for the office of governor. Spencer Cox, thank you for your time. Good luck to you. Thanks, Lee, and thanks for covering that awful shooting in Provo. Uh, Please, if people have information, please, please, please let us know so we can get that person off the streets. 100%. Quick break. When we come back, next candidate for governor, John Huntsman Jr., my guest on Live Mike. If you still have your ballots in front of you, if they're sitting there on your kitchen table or on your desk or on the coffee table or wherever, here's what I want you to do. Grab them. Hold on to them, and for the next 45 minutes, you already heard from Spencer Cox, and for the next 45 minutes, the remainder of my radio program today, we will be speaking with each candidate for governor on the Republican side as they, on this primary day, seek the nomination of their party. We will continue these conversations next with uh, former Governor Ambassador John Huntsman, Jr., who joins me now. Sir, how are you? Hey, Lee, I'm doing terrific. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. It sounds like you got some uh, commotion in the background there. What are you up to right now? Well, we're in Davis County. I've got uh, family in the car, and we've been going uh, polling place to polling place, joining our volunteers that are outside appropriately placed 150 feet away. And this is where folks are able to pull up if they're unaffiliated or if they've lost their ballots. And we're just getting a stream of uh, people who are pulling in to, to vote or to register. So... This is about the best thing that one could be doing right now, Lee. For those who are, say, in the car right now, on the way to a polling place like that, uh, to either pick up a ballot or if anyone out there listening still has their mind yet unmade, uh, what's your final plea to those who are still waiting to, to make their decision? Well, I want people to remember two things, uh, for three things. First of all, one, it's a great, it's a privilege to vote. And having lived in places like Moscow and Beijing, for people to sit on their hands is totally unacceptable. Find somebody you like. I hope we've been able to win you over, but get out and vote. It is a real honor and privilege in the state and in this country. Number two, uh, we're all about doubling this state's economy. It's the most important thing we can do in the months ahead because we'll have a vaccine for COVID. That will be behind us. It'll be a manageable challenge. And then the the focus will be on how we get out of the COVID hole economically. And, uh, and point number two is uh, we're all about declaring war on this insidious disease called mental illness. It's something that is uniquely a challenge for us in this state, and there's a whole lot more that we can do about it. So when people think about me and they consider their final vote, those are the two things that uh, I hope come to mind when they think about Huntsman and Michelle Kafusi, the economy, and uh, and mental health. They're going to be our priorities. 
You mentioned the the coronavirus and the hole out of which we need to dig ourselves, both uh, in terms of health and also uh, the economy. Here in Utah, we rank relatively high on many lists in terms of our resiliency uh, in business and in the home. Uh, As you look back on how the leadership currently in place has responded to the coronavirus, would you make any changes to that reaction? Well, yeah, I would do a whole lot differently. I I don't like to be Monday morning quarterback because everyone tries to do their best. But I think we fundamentally erred in things as uh, as uh, important as testing. So having been through it myself, where 50 percent of the family, uh, my family members who were diagnosed positive were incorrectly diagnosed. I can only imagine how many others uh, have felt when when they've had to go through similar things. so testing, we, I don't think we've dialed in. I don't think we've gotten that one right at all. And that's the most fundamentally important thing we can do. Uh, number two is uh, I think there was a huge error in the, in the politicization of the whole COVID task force. Most Utahns know that. Most everybody who watched it play out knows that. Uh, it's something that should have been led by the governor from day one. Uh, and managed by the professionals who do this for a living. Uh, that's uh, why we pay them in public and in, in public health to do this kind of thing. And I think I think that was a mistake. Number three, I think way too much of our economy was turned off where it shouldn't have been. We have to do a better job in segregating those who have pre-existing conditions, who are in long-term care facilities or should be in long-term care facilities, because that's where the morbidity rate is, sadly enough. For the rest of the 80% of our state's population, we need to get on as best we can. And remember that, that COVID-19 is a three-pronged deal. There's physical health, there's the economy, and there's mental health. Because I think the mental health aspect of all of this, Lee, is something that is largely unreported on and, and unrecognized. But it affects people in, in homes of those who are diagnosed. It affects those who have been laid off from their jobs and don't have prospects going forward. And I think this is going to be a residual challenge that we're going to have to deal with. We earlier today on the program were talking about the reopening of schools. The American Academy of Pediatricians spoke about some of those uh, some of those unintended consequences in terms of mental health that could afflict uh, the students if they don't get back into the classroom and uh, socializing with their friends and such. You, you, sir, you mentioned that, and I just wanted to clarify this. You said that half of those in your family who were tested for the coronavirus that their results came back uh, erroneously. That's right. That would be two of four. So we've had four in our family. Uh, two, of, two of them, including me, uh, had wrong results. And uh, part of the problem, and I'm sure there have been many others who have experienced the same thing, is that uh, when you're given a negative uh, diagnosis, you begin to conduct life as normal. And you hang out around people, particularly family members. And then when you hear that it's positive, uh, a day or two later, uh, the, the, the virus has been spread uh, needlessly. So we have learned a lot in our own family about uh, the transmission of coronavirus. I still have a son-in-law who was fighting a fever for about the 13th day. Uh, we had him in the emergency room just a few days ago. Uh, we're wishing him the very, very best. It's probably pneumonia that he's fighting off right now. But this is a real deal, and uh, we've got to take it seriously. And it all starts with the effectiveness of our testing capabilities. And just in the exposure that we've had to it, and again, we went through the steps that any other citizen would go through. Uh, there, was, uh, there was much that, uh, that needs to be improved upon. All right. 
Let's say that the decision by Utah voters in this primary election today is that they would like to see you receive the Republican nomination. You go up against your Democrat challenger. You are victorious. On day one, when you're sworn into office, what's priority number one? I'm going to declare war on mental health. I'm going to lead the state in a conversation that opens the doors to better understanding and better talking about mental illness, which has made us the buckle of the suicide belt in America. We've got the age group 10 to 25-year-olds who see the number one form of death right now is suicide. Uh, We are too good as a people, Lee. We are too good as a state to let this define us. And there's a whole lot more that we can do about it. And I think step number two after that first day declaration has to be working with some very able people in the legislature who are well ahead on some of these ideas uh, in figuring out how we can look at mental health, mental illness, like we do water, like we do education, which is to say we need a long-term game plan. We need to know exactly what the resources are that we're going to need to fight this battle long-term. It isn't about cutting ribbons short-term. It isn't about giving money out to this project or that project. This is a, this is a war that we need to wage, and it's going to be a long-term deal, and we've got to be honest about it, and we've got to be prepared to fight at all levels. Sir, I'm grateful to you for your time. John Huntsman, Jr., candidate for governor in the state of Utah, and on this day, primary day, asking for your vote as he seeks the nomination of the Republican Party. Uh, Again, uh, best of luck to you today, and please, uh, to your family, my best. I'm sorry you went through what you went through, and uh, my best to your son-in-law as he uh, remains on the men, sir. Real, real honor to join you. Thanks so much for letting us be here. 100%. Uh, That, John Huntsman, Jr., we have thus far in this hour on this program live mike spoken to one half of the republican candidates running for governor here in the state of utah seeking the republican nomination we'll continue when we come back after the break by speaking with utah businessman thomas wright former chairman of the republican party here in the state as we wrap up today's program we are continuing the attention we are paying to the republican race for the nomination to run against democrat chris peterson for Uh, the governorship here in the state of Utah. We have thus far spoken with Spencer Cox, current lieutenant governor of the state, John Huntsman Jr., former governor of the state and ambassador uh, in China and Russia. And now we are honored to be joined by businessman and former chair of the Utah Republican Party, Thomas Wright. Sir, how are you? Great, Lee. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, My pleasure. Uh, Let me ask you this. The, The last day in this primary battle, how are you spending your day? Spending the day getting out the vote, making sure that our supporters are returning their ballots. Uh, we're texting and calling and offering to help people however we can, make sure that they get their ballots in. It's exciting to see this record turnout, and uh, we're doing everything we can to make sure our supporters get to the polls. I, I saw on social media that you posted your personal cell phone number for anyone who has any final uh, questions for you as they make up their mind. you want to do that here on the show? Yeah, well, absolutely. It's 801-652-5700. I love taking calls. I'll give it out at the end, too, in case they missed it. But you know what? I gave my phone number out just after the convention, and I've taken some days 20 to 30 calls an hour, uh, some days more than that. And I have learned so much, Lee, talking to the citizens of Utah. Uh, what, What they think are the problems are a little bit different than what some of the professional politicians think. And they actually have a ton of great ideas and solutions. I have a notebook full of ideas and things that the citizens have brought forward, and that's the kind of governor I want to be. I don't want to go in behind closed doors in, a, in an elite group and make decisions. I want to represent the people. I want to be connected to the people, and I want to make sure that they always know they have an open door to Governor Wright. 
as as you've fielded these phone calls over the past while, what what are some of these uh, you know priorities that have surprised you? Uh, well, there there are a lot of local issues. People really understand their local issues. So I've learned so much about issues in all 29 counties. But some of the reoccurring themes: number one, people are really worried about COVID. Uh, they're worried about their jobs. They're worried about their kids going back to school. They're worried about their health. Uh, they're worried about their businesses. A lot of people worried about their civil liberties and really concerned about government overreach, taking their constitutional rights away. Uh, public education is a big theme. I talk about public education a lot. People are frustrated with uh, the way teachers are treated in the classroom, their pay. Uh, a lot of people have ideas about curriculum changes that they think need to happen so that our kids better understand history and can balance a checkbook. So I am telling you, there is so much knowledge out there. Our citizens are amazing. I, it was the best thing I ever did. I'm so glad I did that. So all day I've just been talking to citizens all over the state. It's funny because they call and they think they're getting like a campaign line, but they're not they're <laughs> really calling my mobile phone. That's great. Uh, let me ask you this. You mentioned the coronavirus. You have had the opportunity to observe the, the, the actions taken by leadership in place right now here at the state level. Uh, now, it's probably unfair to, to ask you to be a Monday morning quarterback, but have there been missteps? How would you have handled things? Well, I think you have to know the principles of the person that you're electing. And if you know the principles, then you can predict what they will do. So I just want to share what my principles are. And there's just two that I'll share quickly. Number one is I do not believe in governing by executive order. You, you as a governor, have to make decisions during emergencies in real time, which means you have to make some executive orders. But we're now four and a half months into the pandemic. There's no reason to continue to govern it by executive order. The legislature's proved they can convene remotely over Zoom. They should be helping make the decisions. They are our elected officials. They're the ones that the people elected in their local elections, and they're the ones that the voters need to hold accountable for the decisions made at the state level. So while you have to make an executive decision quickly during an emergency, you don't have to govern on an ongoing basis. When you do that, you run the risk of violating people's individual freedoms and liberties and starting to make it look like one person's making all the decisions behind closed doors. What we want is decisions being made by the legislature out in the open with public votes, public hearings, where the public can weigh in. That's our, our, our government. There's three branches of government for a reason. There's checks and balances for a reason. So that's just a principle that Governor Wright will abide by in any emergency. And second, the no-bid contracts. Look, I'm a, I'm a business executive. You don't give blank checks to people. If you do, you know what will happen. And it's happened. We've been overcharged for things that don't work. They still don't work. Uh, we have an app we're paying $300,000 a month for that's not working. And total, the state's going to pay $6.6 million for it. Um, we've, we've bought medicines that we don't need. We've been overcharged on no-bid contracts. And, look, we've, been, we've asked repeatedly for details, and we, we've been told they're out there, the, the candidates for governor, but they're not. There's still a lot of questions, and that's why Auditor Dougal is doing an audit of these no-bid contracts. And I think citizens will see that we were pointing that out correctly, that there's some challenges with that. So those are the two principles. Don't govern on executive orders on an ongoing basis, and don't engage in no-bid contracts. You mentioned that executive orders have the potential to trample upon the civil liberties of an individual. Have you observed any, uh, any civil liberties here in Utah trampled on or at least uh, uh, betrayed here? Well, yeah. I mean, look, you know, when, when the shutdown happened, some businesses were forced to close and some weren't. Um, and, and I just don't believe in the one-size-fits-all. 
And, and I believe that the proper role of government is for government to distribute and disseminate the information that they have, sometimes admitting that they don't have good information, uh, sometimes admitting that their information is incomplete or that it needs improvement, and then let the citizens make their own decisions. There's too many exceptions to say, hey, this is, these are essential businesses and these are non-essential businesses. Once you start engaging in that, you're really picking winners and losers. And while the intention is good, and we all want to flatten the curve and we all want to be healthy and safe, what you're doing is you're creating unintended consequences. And I, as a business owner in the state of Utah, the only business person in this race that owns multiple offices and employs people, uh, I have 250 people in my organization, you, you see that in some counties I was required to close, and then in other counties, I wasn't. And it, and it starts to become very confusing. I, I closed all my offices voluntarily, even in places I didn't have to, because I felt like it was the right thing to do, and I was able to do that. That was my personal decision. That's how we need to allow people to, be, uh, to, to operate. We need to trust our citizens, give them good information, let them govern themselves, and they will do the right thing. And, and I really believe in that human decency and that personal responsibility and that's how I think we should govern. And I think we would have, I think we would be in a much better place than we are right now had we done that earlier on. You know, um, when you're relying on somebody else to make decisions for you, you stop paying attention to the information. We need to pay attention to the information so that we can govern ourselves correctly and make proper decisions. We're speaking with Thomas Wright on the occasion of primary day here in the state of Utah. You have until 5 o'clock. That's just uh, about two hours and 15 minutes from right now to have your ballot postmarked or uh, have it dropped off at your clerk's office and a number of polling stations around the state by 8 o'clock. Uh, sir, we have just about 30 seconds left. I have one final question for you. Let's say you successfully navigate the primary nomination process. You successfully de defeat your uh, Democrat competitor. You are then... Uh, sworn in as governor of the great state of Utah, what is your priority on day one? Day one, we've got to get back on our feet from COVID. We need to look at all the regulation in state government. We need to deregulate the economy. We need to look at our tax structure, make sure it's competitive with neighboring states, do everything we can to make our business com uh, climate competitive and then get out of the way of businesses. That's what will make them successful. Government's not going to create an economic recovery. Citizens and, biz citizens and businesses will if we deregulate and, and improve our tax code and get out of their way. And then we need to immediately start in on looking at the budget from top to bottom, every department of state government, and make sure that there's absolutely no waste, there's no abuse, that we are spending according to our priorities. And then the third thing is we need to start to tackle improving our public education system. And there's so much work to be done. Teachers are ready. Parents are ready. Citizens are ready. Everybody's ready to improve Utah's public education system. Those would be my top three priorities. All right. Thomas Wright, candidate for governor. We'll leave it at that. Thank you for your time. Best of luck to you on this primary day here in the state of Utah. Thanks, Lee. All righty. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, uh, final candidate on the Republican side of things running for governor, Greg Hughes, former Speaker of the Utah House, will be my guest next to make his pitch for why he deserves your vote for governor here on primary day in the state of Utah. On the line now, we have Greg Hughes, candidate for governor. Today on primary day, uh, he is seeking your support. Just a few hours left to make your decision, get your ballot postmarked. Uh, Mr. Hughes, sir, first off, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are you spending this last day, this J J June 30th primary day here in Utah? Uh, thanks for having me on the show. You know, we're um, we're calling uh, everyone we know. We're calling conservatives in Utah to get out and vote. Uh, we want to earn their support. 
Uh, I've got a lot of Democrats. My friend Jim DeBacchus, I don't, I shouldn't say he's my friend. It's going to ruin my street cred. Uh, <laughs> but he, he's a liberal Democrat that is a Republican today, and he is begging every Democrat to uh, to change parties and and become a Republican, affiliate with the Republican Party to drive an outcome in this race. And he keeps saying anybody but Hughes. Is that rude or what? Saying anybody but Hughes. So. What we've been saying to conservatives in Utah and Republicans, we say, look, if uh, we don't want to be purple or blue, listen to Jim DeBacchus. He's trying to get, he's trying to change the color of the state to moderate or to to blue. And we think Utah's a red state. We think it's a conservative state, and that's been our message as a campaign, as a candidate. And uh, and so that's what we're doing. We're just reaching out to as many as we can. We're on the clock. It's it's ticking down. So three weeks of ballots, you know, being mailed. You have three week election day. So yeah. uh, we're coming to the final hours here. Do you think the, the, the estimate that I uh, am aware of is that some 104,000 uh, new Republicans are on the rolls here in the state of Utah? Do you think that this tactic undertaken by uh, people like Jim DeBacchus uh, w- will have an impact today? We'll see. Um, I, I think I think two things are happening. I do think it has an impact. I, I think that uh, that if you're, it's sad for the Democrat Party in Utah that they are giving up on their nominee and they're just assuming that they don't have a chance. But um, but I'll say that I think there's also I've heard from a lot of people that are unaffiliated uh, that have uh, just want to. They see the excitement of this race. There's four candidates. It's usually just two. And uh, it's been a tough race. I, all good candidates, but they uh, they've come. They're coming home. They're affiliating as a Republican because they want to have a say in this race and uh, vote in this primary. And so that's a good thing. And uh, look, if you're a registered Republican and you'd like to stay one uh, past this primary, then I think it's a great thing. If you're only doing it to uh, come in, affiliate, uh, and drive an outcome, and and have no intention of of staying a Republican, I, I regret that, that is going on. So I think it's a blend. But I just know this from day one, before any of the change in affiliation happened, there was over 700,000 registered Republicans, and I believe the state is conservative. So I just think there are more uh, you know, Republicans who, who adhere to our party platform and are conservative by nature in the state of Utah than there are of Democrats who would want to switch over. So anyway, we, um, I, I think that some of that crossover, uh, Lee, is, is due to that, but not all of it. I see. You said something with which I, I agree, and it's a point I've made here on this program a number of times, that those who are members of the Democrat Party, at least in, uh, you know, in terms of their ideology and, and you know, typical affiliation, those who have switched over to the Republican Party to have an influence in this primary election, every one of those is a vote of no confidence for their own, con- uh, for their own ca- candidate. And that's, a, that's a, certainly an unfortunate thing for the candidate, and then more generally it's an unfortunate thing in the, for, for the I don't know, unfortunate commentary on the on the party or, or at least what they believe in. Anyway, uh, let me ask you this. Let's say you today are successful, that you gain enough uh, votes to secure. I love where, your, head. se- I love secure- where your head's at. You're like Nostradamus right now. I hope your listeners are listening. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's say you secure the, the nomination by the Republican Party. You then go on to defeat the uh, Repub- or the Democrat candidate for governor. You then are sworn in. What is priority one on day one? Uh, day one, uh, first hour. I, I got to tell you that if we haven't uh, opened up this economy, if people have not been able to get back to work, uh, bills come due every 30 days uh, for households, for businesses, overhead, payroll. We got to give this economy a chance. We got to give people a chance. There's no, the federal government will not print money to take care of households where the economic, your job and economic activity has done it before. 
so we got to get back to work. And, and there's no way with the state income tax, uh, how we pay for schools being the state income tax, that if we're not uh, back to work or we're not with precautions, by the way, I mean, you, you have to take precautions, obviously, but we don't have an option here. We got to get our schools open. We got to get these kids back to school. Many did not continue their education online in March when they went home. Uh, we've lost year over year proficiency or uh, progress and proficiency. So a lot of things have to get going again. We're a young state by demographics. We're a healthy state. We don't have to look at a single state for their example in New York or Illinois or California uh, to move forward. We can find the solutions as a state. Those are the things I would be focusing on. I'll be, I'll be talking loudly about them all the while. Uh, the other one is we're going to stare at these. I'm going to work with legislative leaders on our uh, ex the executive orders, these uh, state of emergency powers that we've, we have, uh, you know, whether it be the governor or a mayor of a county or county officials or a mayor of a city would have, we got to define those and make them more prescriptive. I know what the legislative intent was for uh, states of emergency or uh, the health, uh, health department directives, but I think that this, uh, this issue, the situation we're in right now uh, is, is not the situation that were intended during the legislative, uh, uh, the legislative intent. So I'd look to be more prescriptive in that so that we don't get into a situation like we're in right now. On that front, where do you start? Where do you start on the on the uh, prescriptive uh, emergencies? I think yeah. that our state emergency broad powers uh, for a governor uh, all revolve around earthquakes and floods and fires and uh, the health departments. When you have a TB, a tuberculosis outbreak, these are things that were always uh, contemplated. But this virus that we have here, uh, with its open-ended nature, with the with the vulnerable population being older and medically frail, but the ability to and you know horizontally just take healthy people and force them inside, shutting businesses, picking which ones are essential and not, closing churches. Uh, my, my faith, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they decided globally not to hold services on Sunday early. I did not know that the churches, the other churches in the state of Utah, were forced by state government to close. I, I, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a Plymouth Rock uh, First Amendment thing for me, freedom of religion. I just thought it was our gig that government couldn't really control those things the way they have. So I think you have to get the state of emergency down to the things that we have always confronted where time is of the essence, the emergency is acute and a point in time, it's definable, uh, that you see what's happening by way of fire, earthquake, flood, things like that. That's what those state of emergencies were intended for. And that, that would just, we'd start working with legislative leaders right away to start uh, fleshing that out. Plus, eyes have been on the statutes for our health departments, and there's some Easter eggs in there that I don't, I know I had not seen before until this. Uh, till this came up, and we've looked at it. The public's looked at these statutes closer, and uh, there's some pretty draconian powers that are given to our health departments that needed to be uh, taken out anyway. I don't know why they're in there. So. Yeah. Uh, Greg Hughes, we'll have to leave it at that. Uh, best of luck to you. Greg Hughes, former Speaker of the Utah House, current candidate for governor here in the state of Utah on this primary day. Thanks again for your time. Best of luck to you over the next few hours. Hey, thanks. Turn in your ballots, folks. Uh, yes. Race depends on you. That's the way. Uh, you have about two hours left to get your mail-in ballot postmarked, or uh, you have until 8 o'clock this evening to drop it off at one of the various polling places. And you can get all the information, certainly, at your county clerk's website. Uh, and so I would encourage you to do that, please. We are all voting by mail this year. You've got a few hours left to do it. If you have yet to fill it out, please do so. Sign it. Drop it off in the mail. That way you and I will vote together. We'll rock the vote at home this year along with the rest of us here at KSL News Radio.